Hey guys, welcome to the Anti-Macro Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Diana Lee. I spent years steeped in diet culture, obsessively weighing, measuring, and tracking my food. In 2019, I ditched macro tracking for good, and now I've made it my mission to help you swap diets for real food freedom. It's time to unfuck your mindset and stop letting food control you. Let's dive in. This episode is heavily inspired by what's exactly going on within my coaching with my clients. Right now, I have a couple of clients who are working on increasing their protein intake, particularly on the higher end of the spectrum. Now, of course, my clients don't track macros and instead we track hand portions. Protein is measured as the size of your palm. This can equate to about four ounces of meat or one cup of cottage cheese or Greek yogurt, or one scoop of protein powder. In terms of if we were to equate this to macros, just to give you guys a general sense, a palm of protein is anywhere between about 22 to 24 grams of protein. The reason why there's a range is, of course, because everyone's hand size is going to be different, right? My hand size is likely going to be smaller than let's say a male who's about 250 pounds, maybe six foot somewhat, right? I'm throwing numbers out, but you can imagine our hand sizes are going to differ. As a result, our palm sizes are going to be different and thus our protein portions will be different. So the hand portion method is an estimate and it's not intended to be perfect. So in some cases, we're not hitting those macros exactly to the gram, but once again, that's the whole point of the hand portion method. On average, my clients will aim for about four to five portions of protein per day, which is typically a very doable goal. Where it gets tricky is when my clients are aiming for six or more portions of protein per day. I find that my ladies are usually obviously on that lower end. My gentlemen are on the higher end. And oftentimes they don't struggle as much to incorporate, let's say six portions of protein. But if their needs do exceed that, that's when the struggle starts to kick in. Now, the question is, why would I have my clients aiming for higher protein goals in the first place? Usually higher protein goals are implemented in my coaching when either A, my client is working in a deficit, so we're going lower on the carb and fat intake and higher on the protein intake, or my client is looking to put on a substantial amount of muscle. So in this case, we're going higher with protein intake while keeping carb and fat intake moderate to high as well, depending on their activity levels. In the case of weight loss and working in a deficit, protein is very, very helpful in ensuring that you stay full and satiated, as well as supporting maintaining muscle mass as you lose weight. The obvious then applies to those who are looking to build muscle. More protein means that they are fueling their muscle recovery and growth with the essential building blocks and are ideally building muscle rather than just maintaining. Now, more isn't always necessarily better when it comes to protein. So I wouldn't recommend arbitrarily eating an excessive amount of protein under the assumption that it'll directly correlate with growing bigger muscles and looking fitter. Balance always needs to be a part of the equation. Our body doesn't really store protein beyond what the body needs. And so as a result, excess protein can be converted into energy. But if the energy is not needed, then it will be stored as fat. You have to follow 
basically the general rules of you don't need to eat beyond your needs because of course, then your body is not going to have anything to do with that energy and thus needs to store it somewhere. Carbs and fats are also just as important in the equation. So that is also something to be considered is what is your total breakdown of protein to carbs to fat in your diet? I'm not really going to dive into that too much today because I'm more so specifically touching on protein, but I think it's worth mentioning. So how much protein should we be eating, right? So you need about a half to 0.8 grams of protein per pound of body weight from just a healthy living and lifestyle perspective, right? And your needs are going to vary based on your lifestyle, your goals, and whatnot. Now, for those who are more active in intense workout styles, such as weightlifting, CrossFit, or any kind of strength and conditioning training, which is typically the type of client I end up working with, I would aim on the higher end of that scale. So anywhere between about 0.8 grams and even up to one gram of protein per pound of body weight. From a hand portion perspective, what you can do is you can calculate how much protein you need based off of that information I provided you, and then divide that total number of grams by about 22 to 24 grams, right? So I would say if you're a female, divide it by about 22 grams. If you're a male, divide it by 24 grams. And that will represent, right, the 22 to 24 grams estimated within each palm of protein. And this is how you can calculate a essentially how many palms of protein you would need in your day. So you can actually do the conversion for your own hand portions yourself in that case. This should get you to a good baseline, at least to help you guys understand where you need to be at, at a bare minimum, right? Now let's get into how to best meet your protein needs without tracking macros specifically. The first tip that I have is to consume protein at most, if not all meals. Now, coming from the food freedom space, I don't like assigning rules like you have to eat protein at every meal, but honestly, it helps if you do. So don't necessarily take this as a rule, but take it instead as a strong suggestion, especially if hitting a certain protein goal is a top priority for you. Protein is one of the more filling macronutrients. So as a result, it's much harder to consume large amounts of it within one single meal. And it's easier to consume smaller amounts of it throughout your day across multiple meals. Now, I find that my clients struggle to get an adequate protein intake, especially if they don't include it in their breakfast in some kind of way. Breakfast can be a tricky meal because many breakfast food options are actually pretty carbohydrate dense and lack adequate protein, as in the case with foods such as oatmeal and cereal and waffles and pancakes. Many people will express that they feel boxed in to eating eggs as a primary protein source for breakfast. But guys, don't let the label of what is and isn't breakfast food get in your way. If you want to incorporate, let's say, ground turkey or ground beef into breakfast, I think these would be amazing foods to have in the morning. Hell, if you're cool with chicken in the morning, literally no one is stopping you. But we also have a few other more commonly known breakfast items, such as sausage. Usually with those, I do try to stick to a leaner option more often. And of course, I'll rotate in the fattier ones every so often because I mean, they're delicious. Uh, bacon, which same deal as sausage, right? 
opting for leaner sources more often than not, but of course, enjoying the fattier sources from time to time is totally fine. Then of course, like we've got cottage cheese, Greek yogurt, and even tofu can work. I've seen recipes such as tofu scrambles before, which could make a great egg substitute in that case. Try not to box yourself in on this meal and don't be afraid to get creative. This is also not me saying that you cannot have oatmeal or cereal or the likes for breakfast, but it can be beneficial to add some kind of protein source on the side of that meal to meet your needs. Now, I mentioned waffles and pancakes, and maybe you consume protein waffles and protein pancakes. You guys know I love my Kodiak protein pancakes because you see me on Instagram making them every single Sunday, right? If you're on my Instagram, you also see that Thor gets one every single week because he loves them. He waits for them. It's adorable. We all love it. Now, these items do boast about 12 to 15 grams of protein per serving, and a serving is listed at about two waffles or three four inch flapjacks. But when I make my pancakes, I do like to add eggs to the mix, which gets me closer to that 18 to 20 grams of protein per serving. But when we're incorporating these items, there is something that we need to be aware of. Yes, these foods provide a good amount of protein, but there's also a significant amount of carbohydrates, often double the amount in most cases. So if you are navigating your nutrition with a certain goal in mind, this just needs to be acknowledged that this food is more carbohydrate dense. And how does that fit into the rest of your nutrition? I am not saying that it's a bad thing, but I am saying we need to be aware of this. And I'm actually going to touch upon this a little bit more later. This is a great transition point to make into my second tip for optimizing protein intake. And that is you get more bang for your buck with whole real foods than you do with quote unquote protein products. Protein is now a buzzword that's used to market products to get you to believe that they are healthy and good for you, which means that you can be misled. The issue that I see with those who are tracking macros is that they hit about 60% or more of their protein needs from these protein products. So here's, let me give you an example, right? Maybe it looks like you start your day with a batch of protein pancakes. Then for a mid-morning snack, you munch on a protein bar. Then for lunch, maybe you have an animal protein, but then you also add protein chips to your meal. Then you hit a workout in the afternoon and you have a protein shake after. Then you get home and once again, you probably have an animal protein with your dinner or whatever it is that you have like cooked, right? And then you finish the night off with some kind of like, protein touting dessert, like a protein cookie. Obviously it doesn't necessarily have to look exactly like this, but notice that there's a pattern to what I'm saying, right? The protein consumption is coming from products more often than it's coming from actual food. The reason why this matters is one whole real food protein sources typically pack more protein per serving. Usually these products have anywhere between nine to about 15 grams of protein, while in comparison, four ounces of chicken has 31 grams. Secondly, real food sources provide essential micronutrients that we need for our overall health. These products will lack those micronutrients and oftentimes will also have other less than ideal ingredients. 
And thirdly, and this really only matters if you're working towards any specific goals, but going back to that point that I made earlier, these protein products often come with a very high carb and or fat intake relative to the protein intake. It's very difficult to find a quality protein bar that is high in protein. And when I'm saying high in protein, I'm talking 20 grams or more without also being equally high or more in carbohydrates. Bars that tout being low carb are often geared towards keto eaters and as a result, replace those carbs with fats. Once again, this is not inherently a bad thing, but it can potentially have an impact on the goals that you are working towards if this is not something that you're considering as a part of your overall nutrition. I don't have off-limit foods in my coaching, but I do guide my clients to eat on an eat more, eat some, and eat less scale. This means that we prioritize whole real foods that maximize nutrient intake and minimize the intake of artificial and potentially inflammatory ingredients. Products can be eaten and used especially to help boost protein or provide protein in a more convenient form, but we attempt to minimize those and maximize the consumption of whole real food, nutrient-dense protein sources. This is a great time to address optimizing protein for plant-based eaters. Wherever you fall on that spectrum, right, we either have those who eat eggs and or fish, but then we also have those who don't consume any animal products at all. Now, when somebody goes plant-based, often they will lean towards meat substitute items as their protein sources. Obviously not everyone, that's a generalization, but I do see it often. Hell, I went vegetarian in college and I absolutely did rely on these products myself a lot of the times. And I thought it was doing like real good, okay? Now, the thing to know is that these products are very highly processed and when eaten in excess can be inflammatory to the body. These foods are considered to be in the eat less category on the food spectrum that I use. And I encourage eating more whole real food sources, such as fish, if that's an option, eggs, once again, if that's an option, tofu, tempa, lentils, beans, edamame, cottage cheese, Greek yogurt, and seitan. So how do you prioritize eating more whole real foods and meeting higher protein requirements? Well. For starters, you can just eat larger portions of them at your meals. So a good starting place with most of my clients is they'll have, let's say, one portion of protein within each meal and possibly each snack, right? And then once we start getting to that higher level protein goal, now we have to talk about, okay, where do we fit in that extra protein? And I will encourage my clients to then add one and a half portions of protein at meals to give these meals an extra boost. I don't come out right and say just double the portions because as I mentioned before, protein is very filling. And so as a result, it can be really hard to eat that much protein within one single sitting. But one and a half portions of protein often tends to be a lot more doable for my clients. So this also means that we, when you meal plan and prep, you may need to account for a higher quantity of protein to boost these meals up a bit. So just make sure that you're adjusting that accordingly. In addition, if my clients struggle to get their protein higher on a regular basis, I'll break down the goal to be a little bit more manageable. So instead of hitting six proms of protein daily, we aim for maybe two to three days with that goal while keeping the remainder of the week at, let's say, about five portions. This is a great way to start boosting your protein gradually, especially if you're struggling to hit your goals 
daily and you're finding yourself very frustrated. I think it's worth mentioning here that if you're currently at, let's say about 50 grams of protein per day, and I'm just throwing random numbers out here, right? It's not wise to try to jump up to like a hundred grams of protein per day in the span of just a day or a week, because that's going to be very, very difficult to do. Create a plan to gradually increase your protein slowly over time. So this could look like adding one hand portion per week. Now, if you're feeling really, really full, sit at that level of food intake that you're at just for a bit to allow your body to adjust. And then when you feel a little bit more adjusted, you can increase your consumption further. It also helps to build your snacks around protein, but admittedly, this is more difficult. I find that the best protein sources tend to require more prep time and most of them need to be cooked. So finding protein sources that you can just grab quickly and eat with minimal effort can be a challenge. Just because it's a challenge though, doesn't mean it's not doable. Some of my favorite recommendations include tuna fish, though, asterisk here, you do want to be mindful of your consumption of this due to higher mercury content, but also rotisserie chicken, which you can pick up ready-made at the store, cottage cheese or Greek yogurt, edamame, chicken or turkey sausages, deli meat, and jerky. Some of these are more processed than others, but having a stock of options that you can rotate can be really helpful in meeting your needs with a little bit more balance. Now, like, I want to be really clear about something. I don't mean to shit on these protein products in this episode. And obviously it can be really helpful to integrate these in mindfully as well. One protein product that I do use and recommend fairly frequently is protein powder. And I want to touch upon that here to help you guide in your selection of protein powder to match your needs. Now, whey protein is the most popular form of protein supplementation, mainly because it is a fast digesting protein that is a great fuel source post-workout. When consumed after workouts, the protein can be digested and immediately transported to the muscles to help aid in muscle building and recovery. So it's a fan favorite in the fitness community. But there are downsides to whey protein being fast digesting, and that is when it is used as a snack or a meal replacement. Whey is not going to hold you over for very long. So it's not really great for filling you up. If you need a protein source that you can consume on the go, but also keeps you full, I would opt for casein protein. That's C-A-S-E-I-N. This is a slower digesting protein. And I will admit that it is a much thicker consistency. And at times that can mean it can be a little bit chalky in taste. So I would recommend adding a little bit more liquid to get it fully mixed together. Casein is also a really good protein powder to take prior to bed to boost recovery. While you sleep, your body can slowly digest the protein and use it in muscle recovery by increasing your protein synthesis and inhibiting protein breakdown. I do not usually advise doing multiple protein shakes per day though. And that just goes back to my take on ensuring the majority of your protein sources do come from whole real food sources with nutrient density. So pick one that is most suited to you and your lifestyle. When it comes to protein shakes, I'm a big fan of leveling up from protein powder and water to turning it into a full-blown smoothie. Smoothies allow you to pack in those additional nutrients, and I love throwing spinach into mine to get another serving of vegetables into my day. If you are using your whey protein post-workout, 
adding fruit into the mix can be a great way to both replenish your carbohydrate stores and even certain fruits such as bananas can boost your electrolytes, which is great if you have a tendency to sweat a lot in your workouts. If you're using protein powder as more of a meal source that you can simply just fit into a very busy on the go schedule, making it into a smoothie allows you to once again, pack in more nutrients and can also leave you more satisfied by the drink itself. Because it's liquefied calories, it still won't keep you full for a full three to four hours, but it can definitely do more than just powder mixed with water, especially if you're getting fiber content in there from those fruits and veggies. Now, of course, if you are a plant-based eater or you do not tolerate dairy or lactose specifically, you'll need to opt for a plant-based powder. The optimal forms will be pea, hemp, or rice protein. The particular one I've been recommending as of late is Legion Athletics because their amino acid profile is adequate for building muscle, and that's not always the case in all plant-based proteins. Another popular option that I was asked about on my Instagram in preparation for this episode is collagen protein and whether or not it counts towards protein intake. In my coaching, I do have my clients count it, but with a little bit of an asterisk. Collagen does not have the essential amino acid tryptophan, so it is not considered to be a complete protein. A complete protein is one that includes all nine of the essential amino acids that our body does not produce on its own and relies on food to get. This shouldn't be an issue if you are consuming enough complete proteins within your diet, which is the case for most omnivores. Plant-based eaters need to be a bit more mindful of this because majority of plant-based sources are not complete proteins. So it's really important to have a mix of protein sources in effort to get your body all nine of those essential proteins. In this case, it can also be beneficial to supplement with essential amino acids if you're not confident your diet is covering your bases. But I digress. Back to collagen powder. Okay, Collagen became popular for numerous reasons. So let's go over some of those and when you should take collagen and when you should just honestly save your money. In terms of gut health, collagen is known to heal quote unquote leaky gut, which means the gut lining is more permeable than it should be. I would be wary of this claim because leaky gut is more of one of those marketing terms, and there could be a lot more going on in terms of gut dysfunction that is not simply healed with just collagen powder. If you're struggling with gut issues, I would look far deeper into lifestyle factors such as stress, exercise, and food quality prior to throwing in a collagen supplement. You may or may not need further measures such as an elimination diet or other supplement strategies to help with healing your gut. That is a much more complicated topic that we don't have time for today, but in essence, collagen is not necessarily the end-all be-all gut healing solution. Another claim that I do see on collagen is that it is good for hair and nail growth. This is a claim that I don't find is backed up well with science and If this is the reason that you're taking collagen, I would honestly just save your money and ditch it because it's just not going to be really doing much for you. What collagen is good for is bone and joint health. So if you're looking to support this aspect of your health, then absolutely go ahead, throw that collagen into your diet, especially if you're recovering from an injury, that can be like a really good time to do it as well. Now, there was a ton of information packed into this episode, so let's wrap it up with a few key takeaways in terms of actions that you can take today to optimize your protein consumption. First, 
Assess your current sources of protein and identify if you're consuming your protein from mostly whole, nutrient-dense foods or products. Remember, these products operate on a spectrum versus being labeled as good or bad, and that some products, such as Greek yogurt or cottage cheese, do have nutrient value to them. If you find that you're consuming a lot of items such as protein powder, protein cookies, protein chips, and the likes to meet your needs, I would start making small shifts to incorporate more real food sources into that mix. Second, have a look at the makeup of your meals and snacks and whether you're getting enough protein based on the concept that you need at least at a bare minimum about 0.5 grams to about 0.8 grams of protein per pound of body weight for general health, and even more of that for muscle building. You can divide that number by the grams of protein needed by either 22 or 24 to establish how many hand portions that equals, so you can better eyeball your protein versus tracking macros. Finally, if you need additional help, you can also download my free guide, Power Up Your Protein. In this guide, I break down the hand portion method a little bit more, go into detail on the eat more, eat some, eat less scale, and where certain protein sources fall, and then how to boost your protein intake. I will drop that link into the show notes for today's episode. That's a wrap on today's episode on the Anti-Macro Podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date on new episodes dropping weekly. And it's always super helpful if you share episodes that you enjoy or find helpful with others to get the word out. I will catch you next week. Thank you for tuning in to listen to the Anti-Macro Podcast. I am so happy to be a part of your health journey. If you liked this episode, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You're now one step closer to ditching diet culture and finding real food freedom.